Hello captives and captive friends and welcome to episode 60 of the Global Captive Podcast supported by Legacy Specialists R&Q and hosted by me Richard Kutcher. It has been a pretty busy last quarter of the year now with a return to in-person events and plenty of captive activity across different regions. One of those events was a really fantastic European Captive Forum held in Luxembourg 9th to 10th of November. I had the privilege of getting out there myself with more than 150 captive owners and around 500 delegates in total and I thought it was an, an excellent event and, and just so good to, to catch up with many good friends on the continent. So certainly I'd like to give huge credit to Captive Review and Eki Roa for getting that event on. I know many in the European captive industry are, are very grateful for, for that finally happening. So we will hear a bit more on reflections from ECF later in the episode when we will hear a few short interviews I did with delegates at the forum but I'll just give my main two takeaways uh, now when I'm thinking about them first of all we heard from the Luxembourg regulator that there are currently 10 new captive applications uh, on their desk now some of them will end up getting done this year I think many will end up getting finalized next year but it really does look like uh, that jurisdiction Luxembourg is is remaining a domicile of choice for new captives within the EU so we'll, we'll watch those numbers closely over the next few months and secondly, it was the first big person, yeah, big in-person conference in Europe since Strategic Rich Solutions have really made a big move into the continent. So it was notable to see their presence. And it's fair to say they are putting a lot of time and resources into their entry into the European captive management market. Uh, so definitely a bit of disruption there and continue to watch that space with interest as well. Now, as ever with ECF, there was a lot of content regarding international employee benefits. It continues to be a hot topic for European captive owners. And I heard of a couple of, of more new captives being set up to write EB, uh, particularly uh, there's uh, one large European company that's had a captive in the Netherlands for a while. It set up a new captive in Dublin just to write EB, which is interesting, and the addition of EB to existing captives. So plenty of activity still happening there. And I'm delighted to say, that our guest co-host on that theme uh, for this episode is Mathieu Roux, CEO of Maxis Global Benefits Network. Mathieu, we, we had you on GCP earlier this year with Mark Cook talking about the direct impact of the pandemic on EB programs, but it's, it's your first time on the pod in the co-host chair, and it's great to be in your offices hosting us in London in person. So welcome onto the pod. Hi, Richard. Thank you. And uh, it's a great pleasure to be with you today. And thank you for having me. And we're very delighted to have you in our office as well today. Yeah, it's great to be read back. I'm doing lots more recordings in person now. It, it does make a big, big difference. So can you tell us a bit about uh, your background for listeners that might not be as familiar uh, with you and how you've kind of found yourself at, at Maxis as CEO? Okay, yeah, sure, of course. Well, as you know, and hopefully some of your listeners know too, Maxis is a joint venture uh, between AXA and MetLife. And I joined Maxis as CEO uh, almost 18 months ago, so in May 2020. But I was definitely not a, not a stranger to, to the business and to Maxis before then, because prior to joining Maxis as CEO, I had spent, well, last previous 20 years in AXA, and seven years, well, no, sorry, well, five to six years overseeing the Maxis activity. Before that, I was uh, I had various roles in AXA in the UK as well, and well, most lately as a head of investor relation for the entire AXA group. But I really started my Maxis journey in 2014, when I was in charge of all the international employee benefit businesses in AXA. 
of course, at the time, Maxis was a much smaller organization, and it was a AXA and MetLife trying to work together under the common brand of Maxis, but it was really two separate teams, two separate organizations. It was AXA on one side trying to leverage the Maxis brand, but MetLife as well uh, trying to leverage the Maxis brand for different type of clients. But I was a person on the AXA side actually responsible for the team dedicated to Maxis before we created the new joint venture in, in 2016, and I was very much involved in creating this joint venture from the exercise. So I'm not, I was not a stranger to Maxis. And you know what I was, before taking this job, I was always convinced that Maxis was a fantastic business, mm. that it was a backed by two huge organizations which were very much aligned uh, on employee benefit and uh, had the same long-term vision bef- um, behind employee benefits. So I was very much convinced that we do, could do even better by joining all the uh, all the forces in Accent MetLife and creating this uh, new organization. I served on the board of the JV after the creation between 2016 and up to when I, I took over the, uh, the CEO position. So yeah, it's interesting that, to have that background. And I think, I think obviously it has been a great addition to the, you know, not just the EV market, but the, the, the broader captive insurance space to have uh, a, a specialist such as Maxis uh, really kind of formalize that arrangement. As you said, it's over five years now since the joint venture between MetLife and AXA was formalized with Maxis and, and now headquartered in London. As you say, Maxis existed since 1998 before the joint venture, but why was the creation of that separate business entity, why was that so important, do you think, and what are some of the advantages that it's brought? Well, I think the, the, one of the biggest reasons for that, for launching this JV in 2016, was the fact that AXA and MetLife agreed that there was much more they could do together. Uh, they were aligned on this long-term vision, as I said, on EB. They were aligned on the fact that they believe that EB program, EB global program, were going to be, to uh, they're going to be much more uh, of them in the future, and they really wanted to strengthen this uh, this partnership. It was a kind of gentleman's agreement before that, yeah. but they thought that well, if we want to go a step further, we had to put together all the people work, all the means, I would say, all the operational means actually to uh, to run this business. So they saw a lot of opportunities in the market and decided to group all the men. And yes, indeed, and we have seen that since. There's been an increasing demand from multinational uh, employers to put in place global programs to manage their employee benefit. It's not going to stop. MetLife and AXA realize that and realize that to be serious in this market and give our clients the best service. Well, actually, they, we, we, we had to a, a Maxis had to become a formal uh, a joint venture with one centralized business, so with one very proposition that could uh, actually that we could uh, put to the market and one centralized business that reported into the shareholders, and thanks to that we could take Maxis to the next level. So I think it's uh, it's now in hindsight after five years, it's fair to say that this has been a great success that we have been able to accelerate. And that we are ready actually to see the US and further opportunities in the in the long term. It really allowed us to create one single company, one single identity, one uh, its own culture uh, as a standalone business. I think in line with what our clients expect, 
uh, from us. We can operate with our own ecosystem and, uh, and more in a startup company mode. I yeah. mean, with a lot of agility, being able to be very responsive uh, to our uh, client demand. So very agile, very adapt, adaptive, very able to adapt very quickly to the market demands and market trends. And also, of course, it has allowed us to centralize a lot of, act- of, the, of, the, of the functions, so like underwriting, like reporting, finance, legal, marketing. So all that is now in the same place. I think uh, you, you mentioned obviously there that the, the, the demand for um, the e- on on EB networks now. There's, there's more companies wanting to explore international employee benefits, so we're going to talk in the second half more broadly about about that market and, and maybe new entrants or kind of your competitors. So I think we'll get onto that, but I, I just want to re-emphasize again that I think that formalization of AXA with MetLife as Maxis, I think that has probably pushed industry forward as well. And it, I think there is the demand for that standalone entity to, to, to service these, these growing programs. So we talked earlier in the year, Matu, about COVID-19 and its impact on international employee benefits programs. And I am going to put a link to that episode we did with Mark Cook at Willis Towers Watson in the episode show notes. So listeners can, can go back and, and check that out if they haven't heard it already. Aside from the unique challenges presented by the pandemic to ensuring employee benefits, what were some of the priorities on your desk for you operationally? Because you you did come in, as you said, May 2020, so a bit, a bit of a disruptive time to, to join the organization. Yeah, very disruptive indeed. And yeah, that was a very, very, uh, really interesting chat with Mark Cook from uh, Willis Soros Watson on your podcast. And understandably, COVID-19 has been a big, big talking point in 2020 and this year as well. Everybody involved in, in employee benefits, so employers, insurers, consultants and brokers, and EB networks like, like, like Maxis, we have all had to adapt. But now, aside from COVID-19, I would say the priorities for, uh, for Maxis and for me have been to, well, obviously, to keep striving towards our goals and objectives, both in the short term and long term. Uh, we aim for Maxis to be the easiest benefit networks to do business with, and that's Every day, that remains a constant goal for us. In the short term, you know, we are uh, we are a successful organization. I think we have a very attractive value proposition, and we're getting more and more clients. So we need to be to be to be ready to work with this uh, with new clients, but also to uh, to face the um, to meet. Uh, expectation of our existing clients and to cap- to accompany there in more countries around the world with uh, additional services on uh, on health and wellness so that's what we do every day but at the same time we need to think about the long term and long term again i'm very convinced that there is much more to come Captives, we know that captives, and I'm sure we'll talk about that later on, captives will be much more captive. We are just at the beginning of the journey on EB captives. So we need to be ready uh, for that. And I, every day, I need to think about how we need to adapt our platform to make sure that we, I run a sustainable business, uh, which means making sure, well, having the right focus on making sure that we may, we are efficient. We have an efficient platform. We are effective as well at every level of the organization to, uh, to meet our client demands and our shareholders demand as well. You know, Global Benefit Network is a very complex ecosystem. We are working with a lot of insurance partners around the world. In Maxis, it's 140 insurance companies around the world in 120 countries. So that's complex. We are we are an organization in the middle of, of all this and trying to 
show to the client one face. Yeah. Uh, so it's complex to organize and we want to run that very, very efficiently and very smoothly for the client. Yeah, no, and every time I talk to yourselves and your colleagues at Maxis, I understand more and more how complex it is, actually. Um, it's something that I hadn't really appreciated until a couple of years ago. Well, we're going to be back with Matu in the second half, but now let's hear from some of those reflections I mentioned at the start from uh, the European Captive Forum. In a moment, you'll hear short interviews with Holger Kraus of Siemens, who speaks to us in his capacity as Captive Spokesperson for Germany's Risk Management Association, GVNW. And we also hear from Bertrand Gilson of Builders Group, uh, who uh, also run Iris, the, the independent captive manager in Luxembourg. But first, we're going to hear from Enrico Garnerio, chairman and CEO of Strategica Group, who gives us his opinion of the ongoing efforts in Italy to introduce a captive regulatory framework to allow and encourage the domiciliation of captives in their home country. I'm Enrico Guarnerio, I'm the president and CEO of Strategica Group. Strategica represents a, a group of companies uh, based in Italy who are working, uh, which are working all along uh, the risk management value chain. So we have uh, on one side uh, a risk consulting activity provided by a dedicated company where professionals uh, in terms of risk engineering uh, and uh, risk analysis and financial uh, analysis uh, are providing clients with uh, advanced services uh, in order to help them in defining uh, their risk financing strategies and risk management strategies. Then we have uh, brokerage operations with uh, some insurance brokerage activities that are and, and our companies are working uh, on an international basis uh, because we are a part of the Assurance global network. And uh, Enrico, you've got you've got a long, long history with, with captives and particularly captives uh, here in Luxembourg as well. You'll be very aware that there's lots of talk, um, not just in Italy, but particularly in France at the moment and Spain as well, about maybe more home domiciliation of captives. And we know that traditionally, I think Italian companies have used Dublin, they've used uh, Luxembourg, they've used a few Italian companies have captives in Switzerland as well. What's your opinion of this potential trend. I don't want to say it is a trend yet because we haven't seen it really happen even in France yet properly. But what do you think of this potential trend or interest in European companies wanting to have their captives actually at home rather than in the traditional domicile centres? Well, of course, it's true. You're right. It's a trend. There are already some Italian groups who are who are trying to study the way to repatriate their captives from uh, from Dublin, for example, rather than from Luxembourg, and especially for fiscal reasons and uh, the idea of being more transparent in managing their captive. Of course, it's a long uh, it's a long uh, road because we have to take in account the knowledge and of the local authorities. In Italy, for example, uh, there is not even one reinsurance captive existing. So I think uh, it's something that is going on. Someone is uh, interviewing the local authorities, but I think it's still uh, a long, uh, long road to, 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 to take. And uh, it could become, of course, uh, the key issue is having uh, a local authority with knowledge, being fast in providing authorization. And we are seeing that even some uh, historical domicile like uh, Ireland and Luxembourg are, are a bit suffering uh, right now because maybe they have too many, <laughs> too many requests. But of course, uh, the key issue is uh, being uh, prepared 
from the local authority perspective and being fast in providing uh, authorization. So just lastly then, obviously we've been in this hard insurance market for, for three years or so now. Um, we, we've we heard, I think, this week that the Luxembourg Commission here, they've got 10 applications on their desk in Luxembourg, which is which is great news for the industry, and it shows you know, how popular Luxembourg is at the moment for, for, for prospective captive owners. How much potential do you think there is in the Italian market for new captive formations, whether it's in Italy or Luxembourg or Dublin? Is, is there is there a, a real appetite to, to explore captives more at the moment, do you think? Well, uh, I've been always convinced that Italy could represent more or less uh, a market for about 50, 60 captives at least. Uh, we know that Italy is the second largest industrial country in Europe. There is, uh, we have plenty of uh, medium-large size companies uh, that should use the captive. Uh, I think we have uh, two main issues. Uh, locally in Italy, uh, in general, the main uh, issue is related to the lack of culture in terms of risk management. So the captive has not, is not seen at the moment as a pure risk management tool. It has been considered in the past mainly for fiscal reasons, at least motivation, which is not, not at all the real purpose for creating a captive. So we now things are changing. The management of these medium-large size companies is developing his risk management culture, and this will drive companies to create, to create these captive solutions. And as I said, for me, it should be around 50, 60 60 captive. On the other side, uh, we need to have a flexible and fast regulator because sometimes uh, you could reach uh, the point of having a client convinced to create a captive, but then there's a, a stop towards the bureaucracy administration costs for managing a captive. So uh, that should become easier. So delighted to be uh, with Holger Krauss, who uh, leads the captive committee at uh, GMVW in, in Germany and uh, has been on the podcast before. Holger, great to see you uh, in person after uh, speaking to you a few times on the pod and on, on Zoom in the last couple of years. Obviously, a lot has changed since we were all last in, in Luxembourg together. I think at the last ETF in person, I think the hard market was just, just really starting, I think, then. And obviously, we've seen lots of new captives formed. We've seen increased utilization of captives. What have been some of the, the kind of main topics of conversation that you've been having with, with delegates here? Well, it was twofold. One was really about regulation, regulation topics, regulatory topics um, with regard to the Solvency 2 review and we had an intense discussion also with Anna Teresa Moutinho. I think that was very valuable. She took in a lot of, of the comments we have and hopefully that will lead to a further increase of the or uh, improvement of the principle of proportionality going forward um, and on the other hand side the market side I think one topic that's really important is, is D&O um, and the question of D&O and captives uh, the question if site A coverage can be ceded to captives which fronters are willing or able to do so and there is still see a big degree of, of hesitancy and I hope that will change over time because there are different legal opinions out there. So it's, I think it's not really 
that um, clear that it's impossible to do so. So I hope that will that will move forward. And then also, I think the the use of the captive uh, away from the primary layers uh, to plug holes in, in insurance programs, and also the use of captives in excess layers, and and what that implies. So I think that has been a big topic. And in addition, really, also for some from some colleagues, the question who are still in in the phase of um, exploring the viability of a captive uh, for their comp- company and founding a captive, running a captive. So it's been a wide, wide range of, of topics, actually. Yeah, it has been. I think I heard that just in Luxembourg alone, I think the regulators got 10 or 12 uh, license applications on their desk for, for new captives, which is obviously really exciting to hear. And I think, you know, this being back in person in Luxembourg, I was back in person in, at the Emmet conference in Brighton uh, last month. I'd love to come. Uh, we'd do some GCP at uh, GMVW next year, maybe in person. It'd be great, yeah. to, great to come. Yeah, it would be great. And I think it really it really brings forward the idea and it is so much more um, yeah, fruitful to have this personal exchange. And I think it was really a very good and enthusiastic atmosphere here among the participants. I think it was also compared to the last ECFs, I think it was, it was a very special atmosphere this year. So I am joined by Bertrand Gilson, who uh, listeners uh, may remember from being on Global Captive Podcast, I think episode three, very early on in our journey in 2019. And Bertrand, it's great to see you again in person uh, in Luxembourg, where we probably, I imagine, first met many, many years ago. And when you did come on the podcast a couple of years ago, you were very much in your role as Chief Investment Officer at Building uh, Insurance Holdings Group. I probably not quite got exactly the right name there, but Builders Group. But you're now, you know, now you've got a stand and you're, you've got iris as, as part of the group so just tell us a little bit about about iris and, and and why you're exhibiting at the european captive forum indeed the idea behind that is we would like to see builders as a group uh, proposing solutions uh, for uh, insurance or reinsurance we have a reinsurance we do have an insurance and uh, with uh, uh, iris as a captive manager we think that we propose a one-stop shop company where uh, our clients are you know Come as you are. That's 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 the way I, I used to say it. Come as you are. Yeah. Uh, you are not obliged to take our network. You are not obliged to uh, follow your network uh, either. Um, take your IT platform or not. So um, you pick up what you wish with us. We are rather flexible, independent, and uh, obviously our competitive advantage is that we know what we do. We we know the life of uh, a captive of uh, of reinsurance because we have been we have been a successful one and that success we would like to share so it's not a standard kind of service uh, it's very flexible but we really understand the life of a captive from from the inside so this is this is how we see it iris has been created some years ago um, and uh, it has been uh, uh, a little bit dormant since these years but now that we have refurbished our brand uh, that we have fought the strategy of the overall group iris fits very well in this uh, in this strategy and, the, and for the future development so this is why now we are absolutely ready and eager uh, to take our place and to demonstrate you know who we are and that we uh, serve our client so just to give a, a little bit of context, I guess, for listeners that might not have heard the story before, uh, Builders Re was, was very much started out as a, as a traditional uh, 
captive owned by the group, which is the Hockteef Group, a German company. Uh, and then you have Builders Direct, which is a direct writer in Luxembourg as well. So it's an amazing journey of evolution from a kind of traditional captive into a, a much more wide-reaching reinsurance company and, and insurance company. So just lastly, in terms of the uh, the themes that have, you've been picked up upon, I know you've been attached to the booth uh, for most. You haven't got to get to as many sessions as you would, as you would in previous years. What do you think the main themes are? Is it, is it purely hard market, hard market, hard market? <laughs> I think this is the primary layer of, uh, of what is happening uh, today and what drives the contacts that we have uh, with our prospects or with our clients. Um, but beyond that, there are some, some consideration. I think that we, we are in a situation where um, you know, home domicile question is rising. Uh, we are expecting the decision from France. Uh, about that, so uh, I wonder about the the impact. We are also in in an environment where uh, uh, fiscal rules are questioned, and there is an attempt to harmonise that. So it it is still unclear about how it will be treated here in Luxembourg if we will keep our competitive advantage of the equalisation reserve. Nevertheless, I think that equalisation reserve, just to say a word on that, is a real benefit um, to put money aside for big events and I think it was a very very smart idea from the beginning just to avoid the uh, the captive to be crashed out by any any kind of big event so so that being said also some consideration about cyber risk yeah. I mean, the world is, uh, starts to be really digitalized. Everybody's on uh, uh, on internet. Um, uh, servers can be hacked. So uh, I know that cyber is, is is a rising question since years, but I feel that uh, there is quite a quite a large focus on that uh, more more recently. The Global Captive Podcast is supported by RQ the award-winning provider of exit solutions for legacy liabilities and companies in runoff. R&Q can provide a wide range of solutions and has A-rated paper across the United States and Europe. LPTs, novations, business transfers and acquisition are all frequently used and tailored to the seller's requirement whether in runoff or fully active but seeking greater efficiency. If you have legacy, you should talk to R&Q. Mathieu, Maxis is one of the leading EB fronting networks, specifically when it comes to uh, working with the captives. And, and there are, I'd say, three or four other uh, large players in this field. Are you surprised at all that we haven't seen some of the other large insurers looking to enter this space? I know we have previously had some that exited the space. Do you think there's the demand for more competition? Well, there could be demand, yeah, of course, but I'm not surprised that we are only a handful of networks being able to to cope with the uh, with the market demands. Yeah, captives has become a very important part of the global employee benefit industry. At Maxis, we are now working with more than 55 multinational companies, a, which are using their captive to manage their EB programs around the world. This is about half of the market, I would say. And for us, 
captive program now represent more than half of our uh, global activities or of our revenues, I would say, despite being just around one-fifth of our uh, client base. So we are talking about the biggest clients, yeah. the biggest corporations. Oh, no. So this is, as I said, this is a very important part of the business, very important part of the market, or at least of the growth in the market. And I think there is much more to come. So, But I'm not surprised that so, so few players can cope with this demand because you don't start a network from scratch like that overnight. That's quite complex. To be able to enter the EB captive space, you need to have a network of a lot of insurance partners all around the world. So you cannot do that. You cannot do that overnight. You need to have these global networks of local insurers that are leaders in their own market as well, Yeah, who can deliver employee benefit all around the world. It's not only life, it's life disability, but also a lot of medical coverage that we need to uh, to to provide and we need to match the global footprint of uh, big multinational companies. So, and by the way, that's why AXA and MetLife decided to work together already back in, well, 1998 when they joined forces. They, well, of course, together they were better uh, better equipped than on, on their own. They could achieve this global footprint covering most of the market, the key markets around the world. Of course, it's not even enough. We still need to work with some independent insurers in other markets, as a, and that's normal. But again, you can't implement that overnight. So it takes time. And I think Maxis, after well more than 20 years, and after strengthening the, uh, the, the Maxis network with its JV in 2016, we are able to meet uh, uh, market demand. And I'm very, very happy because there is, again, much more to come. As you say there, much, much more to come. And as you said, obviously, captives aren't only what you do. It's, it's a portion and a growing and significant portion of, of your client base and, and your revenue. But what do you expect to be the, the primary drivers of other multinational companies going down the captive international employee benefits route in the next, say, three to five years. You, you said you expect there to be growth. So what's going to be the drivers of that? Well, several drivers. But maybe first, let me give you a bit more uh, insight on the on this uh, captive space. This is one, definitely, again, which has huge growth potential. I would say by some estimations, and I think maybe you might know that better than me, th- th- there are, what, 6,000, 7,000 captives yeah. out here, right? Especially on the, P- well, on the PNC side. Yeah. Uh, but only over 110 or 120 clients actually writing some EB business in their captive. So you can see the big difference. Yeah. That number on the EB side is really steadily increasing, but it goes to show there's a lot of potential for companies to go down the captive route on the EB side. So multinationals are realizing that writing their EB in a captive can help them not only diversify their existing captive, if they have one, but there's a whole host of reasons that employers are exploring the, the captive route. Of course, a lot I could talk about for hours, but I'd like to mention three. I would say the rising cost of medical. Medical is, well, this is a major challenge. We know that. And if you bring medical and other EB lines into a captive, well, it can help control these uh, rising costs. Uh, access to data, the insight that can bring, uh, all that can help employers to tackle their biggest cost drivers and keep their people healthier, uh, reduce absenteeism, and overall improve productivity. So that's, I would say that's the first, first reason why you can start an EB captive program. Secondly, I would say is by writing EB through a captive, 
employers can offer a wider range of coverage that might not be available in some countries due to, well, local market practice or because it's unaffordable because of local underwriting, because the local affiliates don't have, cannot, cannot afford that on, a, on, on its own. For example, this can be things like cover for same-sex partners, transgenders, or HIV AIDS uh, coverage. By using a captive, multinationals can set a minimum standard of benefits for employees, regardless of what is available in the in the different countries or regions, and uh, and therefore it can help build an employee value proposition around the world. So th- I think that's that's a, that can be a big step or show in becoming an employer of choice. So captive can help yeah. on the employer value uh, proposition. And then I would say finally, we are seeing an increased centralization when it comes to employee benefits. Centralization and understanding of EB costs is making the captive model more a uh, well easier uh, for employers. As far as we are concerned, I would say a captive is still the most effective way for a multinational to run a global EB uh, uh, program. As multinationals become more centralized, trying to reach peak efficiency is going to be a big driver towards captives. It is also worth pointing out too that uh, some multinationals are looking to start a captive just for EB, not just as a complement to uh, a yeah. PNC. And they're seeing it as big enough business to make, well, to make it the, the, the primary business in their captive. And this is, this is a new trend, I would say. It's quite fascinating trend to see because, you know, usually in the past, it has been just an add-on in a PNC uh, captive. So this is also, this will accelerate I yeah. think, in the future. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it also gives me an excellent chance to plug a previous episode we, we had. Uh, we did have Facebook on the podcast earlier this year and, and Janae's from Facebook talked very eloquently about that very that very thing. And, um, and as you'll hear, if you hear that episode, they did set up the captive for the EB. They're now doing some other stuff as well. But the driver was EB, which is a relatively new trend, as you said. And again, I'll put a link to that episode in the episode uh, show notes. So uh, just lastly, uh, Mathieu, we've talked a little bit about about kind of operations and, and things behind the scenes, which is which is always good to hear. So looking ahead, obviously we're expecting more growth in this area. One of the comments I get uh, quite a lot from captive owners in terms of their EB programs is obviously that they're, they're hungry for data. They want to understand the data around their program. So where do you think there, there might be room for improvement in how these captive international employee benefit programs are operated and administered? Because I, I guess you're always looking for improvement as well. Yes, you're right. And it, uh, I would say it's impossible to talk about EB captives without talking about data, mm. uh, for sure. And uh, well, there's a couple of, of angles here: uh, both timely access to quality data to make decision, but also how it is uh, displayed. Data is key to decision making, and therefore getting it to the multinational and its captive is, in a good time, is vital. Technology plays an important role in this now, but the next development in this space will be will be uh, crucial. Technology could be a game changer in making the flow of data more efficient. But also technology is key for presenting this data in a way that is easy to understand and digest. Uh, there's a lot of data, you know, in uh, data from a lot of different countries, a lot of different uh, type of benefits. So it's it's massive. So presenting it is is uh, really key. 
And on our side, over the last two years, we've launched a number of digital dashboards to help multinationals understand their data so that they can see their data and make decisions more easily. I'm sure that as technology becomes even more advanced, we can find new ways to break down and showcase uh, this. I would say another area is communication. It's not necessarily an area for improvement, but I think it's key to uh, to be able to build successful EB uh, captive programs. This is one of the biggest challenges, I would say. One, this biggest challenge is uh, facing uh, multinational that there are multiple stakeholders yeah. within the organization for EB. Maybe unlike, but I don't know enough, unlike on the PNC world where uh, it's mostly in the hands of uh, risk managers. Here, the EB captive program only work well when you have both HR people, company ban, risk management as well, but finance, procurement, and the captive, obviously, which are all aware of each other's goals and are working together to get the right result. So this is, this is we should not underestimate the effort here, and communication is key to be able to explain the benefits of uh, setting up a captive. If these groups of people are siloed or if communications breaks down, well, that can be a big challenge to overcome. As well as that, the partnership between the multinational, the fronting networks, and the global broker is, of course, of paramount importance. It's a very powerful alliance, as these groups all need to work together to ensure the multinational is able to implement their uh, strategy. Yeah, and I think you're right that uh, it is quite unique to the EB side of things uh, in comparison to the PNC side. You know, the PNC, the risk manager traditionally looks after the whole PNC program, maybe some other uh, areas as well, things obviously like financial lines as well. But they might often, until this captive discussion or idea of funding uh, EB through the captive, until that really develops within the organization, they might have had no visual really on, on that spend and how benefits programs are designed before. So it, obviously we do know it it does uh, need that real cooperation and collaboration between uh, various different departments but that's all we've got time for so uh, thank you to our three guests who spoke to us live at ECF Enrico Bertrand and Holger uh, I hope that gave some flavor of the event and we're really hoping to do a lot more of those kind of live GCP live episodes and interviews from conferences next year in 2022 as we get back to hopefully many many more uh, live in-person conferences and uh, thank you to Mathieu, CEO of Maxis Global Benefits Network, for hosting us and for joining us on GCP60. Thank you, Richard. In the meantime, stay safe, stay well, and see you next time, captives. <music>